Section 18 of The Trial of Susan B. Anthony by Anonymous. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Address by Susan B. Anthony, Part 3. But however much the doctors of the law may disagree as to whether people and citizens in the original Constitution were one and the same, or whether the privileges and immunities in the Fourteenth Amendment include the right of suffrage, the question of the citizen's right to vote is settled forever by the Fifteenth Amendment. The citizen's right to vote shall not be denied by the United States nor any state thereof, on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. How can the state deny or abridge the right of the citizen if the citizen does not possess it? There is no escape from the conclusion that to vote is the citizen's right, and the specifications of race, color, or previous condition of servitude can in no way impair the force of the emphatic assertion that the citizen's right to vote shall not be denied or abridged. The political strategy of the second section of the Fourteenth Amendment, failing to coerce the rebel states into enfranchising their Negroes, and the necessities of the Republican Party demanding their votes throughout the South to ensure the re-election of Grant in 1872, that party was compelled to place this positive prohibition of the Fifteenth Amendment upon the United States and all the states thereof. If we once establish the false principle that United States citizenship does not carry with it the right to vote in every state in this Union, there is no end to the petty freaks and cunning devices that will be resorted to to exclude one and another class of citizens from the right of suffrage. It will not always be men combining to disenfranchise all women, native-born men combining to abridge the rights of all naturalized citizens, as in Rhode Island. It will not always be the rich and educated who may combine to cut off the poor and ignorant, but we may live to see the day the poor, hard-working, uncultivated day-laborers, foreign and native-born, learning the power of the ballot and their vast majority of numbers, combine and amend state constitutions so as to disenfranchise the Vanderbilts and A.T. Stewarts, the Conklings and Fentons. It is a poor rule that won't work more ways than one. Establish this precedent, admit the right to deny suffrage to the states, and there is no power to foresee the confusion, discord, and disruption that may await us. There is, and can be, but one safe principle of government, equal rights to all. And any and every discrimination against any class, whether on account of color, race, nativity, sex, property, culture, can but embitter and disaffect that class, and thereby endanger the safety of the whole people. Clearly, then, the national government must not only define the rights of citizens, but it must stretch out its powerful hand and protect them in every state in this Union. But if you will insist that the Fifteenth Amendment's emphatic interdiction against robbing United States citizens of their right to vote, on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude, is a recognition of the right either of the United States or of any state to rob citizens of that right for any and all other reasons, I will prove to you that the class of citizens for which I now plead, and to which I belong, 
may be and are by all the principles of our government and many of the laws of the states included under the term previous condition of servitude first the married women and their legal status what is servitude the condition of a slave what is a slave a person who is robbed of the proceeds of his labor a person who is subject to the will of another by the law of georgia south carolina and all the states of the south the negro had no right to the custody and control of his person he belonged to his master if he was disobedient the master had the right to use correction if the negro didn't like the correction and attempted to run away the master had a right to use coercion to bring him back by the law of every state of this union today, north as well as south the married woman has no right to the custody and control of her person the wife belongs to her husband and if she refuses obedience to his will he may use moderate correction and if she doesn't like his moderate correction and attempts to leave his bed and board the husband may use moderate coercion to bring her back the little word moderate you see is the saving clause for the wife and would doubtless be overstepped should her offended husband administer his correction with the cat-o'-nine-tails or accomplish his coercion with bloodhounds again the slave had no right to the earnings of his hands they belonged to his master no right to the custody of his children they belonged to his master no right to sue or be sued or testify in the courts if he committed a crime it was the master who must sue or be sued in many of the states there has been special legislation giving to married women the right to property inherited or received by bequest or earned by the pursuit of any avocation outside of the home also giving her the right to sue and be sued in matters pertaining to such separate property but not a single state of this union has ever secured the wife in the enjoyment of her right to the joint ownership of the joint earnings of the marriage co-partnership and since in the nature of things the vast majority of married women never earn a dollar by work outside of their families nor inherit a dollar from their fathers it follows that from the day of their marriage to the day of the death of their husbands not one of them ever has a dollar except it shall please her husband to let her have it in some of the states also there have been laws passed giving to the mother a joint right with the father in the guardianship of the children but twenty years ago when our woman's rights movement commenced by the laws of the state of new york and all the states the father had the sole custody and control of the children no matter if he were a brutal drunken libertine he had the legal right without the mother's consent to apprentice her sons to rum-sellers or her daughters to brothel-keepers he could even will away an unborn child to some other person than the mother and in many of the states the law still prevails and the mothers are still utterly powerless under the common law i doubt if there is to-day a state in this union where a married woman can sue or be sued for slander of character and until quite recently there was not one in which she could sue or be sued for injury of person however damaging to the wife's reputation any slander may be 
she is wholly powerless to institute legal proceedings against her accuser unless her husband shall join with her and how often have we heard of the husband conspiring with some outside barbarian to blast the good name of his wife a married woman cannot testify in courts in cases of joint interest with her husband a good farmer's wife near earlville illinois who had all the rights she wanted went to a dentist of the village and had a full set of false teeth both upper and under the dentist pronounced them an admirable fit and the wife declared they gave her fits to wear them that she could neither chew nor talk with them in her mouth the dentist sued the husband his counsel brought the wife as witness the judge ruled her off the stand saying a married woman cannot be a witness in matters of joint interest between herself and her husband think of it ye good wives the false teeth in your mouths are joint interest with your husbands about which you are legally incompetent to speak if in our frequent and shocking railroad accidents a married woman is injured in her person in nearly all of the states it is her husband who must sue the company and it is to her husband that the damages if there are any will be awarded in ashfield massachusetts supposed to be the most advanced of any state in the union in all things humanitarian as well as intellectual a married woman was severely injured by a defective sidewalk her husband sued the corporation and recovered thirteen thousand dollars damages and those thirteen thousand dollars belong to him bona fide and whenever that unfortunate wife wishes a dollar of it to supply her needs she must ask her husband for it and if the man be of a narrow selfish niggardly nature she will have to hear him say every time what have you done my dear with the twenty-five cents i gave you yesterday isn't such a position i ask you humiliating enough to be called servitude that husband as would any other husband in nearly every state of this union sued and obtained damages for the loss of the services of his wife precisely as the master under the old slave regime would have done had his slave been thus injured and precisely as he himself would have done had it been his ox cow or horse instead of his wife there is an old saying that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet and i submit if the deprivation by law of the ownership of one's own person wages property children the denial of the right as an individual to sue and be sued and to testify in the courts is not a condition of servitude most bitter and absolute though under the sacred name of marriage does any lawyer doubt my statement of the legal status of married women i will remind him of the fact that the old common law of england prevails in every state in this union except where the legislature has enacted special laws annulling it and i am ashamed that not one state has yet blotted from its statute books the old common law of marriage by which blackstone summed up in the fewest words possible is made to say husband and wife are one and that one is the husband thus may all married women wives and widows by the laws of the several states be technically included in the fifteenth amendment's specification of condition of servitude present or previous and not only married women but i will also prove to you 
by all the great fundamental principles of our free government the entire womanhood of this nation is in a condition of servitude as surely as were our revolutionary fathers when they rebelled against old king george women are taxed without representation governed without their consent tried convicted and punished without a jury of their peers and is all this tyranny any less humiliating and degrading to women under our democratic republican government to-day than it was to men under the aristocratic monarchical government one hundred years ago there is not an utterance of old john adams john hancock or patrick henry but finds a living response in the soul of every intelligent patriotic woman of the nation bring to me a common-sense woman property holder and i will show you one whose soul is fired with all the indignation of seventeen seventy six every time the tax-gatherer presents himself at her door you will not find one such but feels her condition of servitude as galling as did james otis when he said the very act of taxing exercised over those who are not represented appears to me to be depriving them of one of their most essential rights and if continued seems to be in effect an entire disenfranchisement of every civil right for what one civil right is worth a rush after a man's property is subject to be taken from him at pleasure without his consent if a man is not his own assessor in person or by deputy his liberty is gone and he is wholly at the mercy of others what was the threepenny tax on tea or the paltry tax on paper and sugar to which our revolutionary fathers were subjected when compared with the taxation of the women of this republic the orphaned pixley sisters six dollars a day and even the women who are proclaiming the tyranny of our taxation without representation from city to city throughout the country are often compelled to pay a tax for the poor privilege of defending our rights and again to show that disenfranchisement was precisely the slavery of which the fathers complained allow me to cite to you old ben franklin who in those olden times was admitted to be good authority not merely in domestic economy but in political as well he said every man of the commonality except infants insane persons and criminals is of common right and the law of god a free man and entitled to the free enjoyment of liberty that liberty or freedom consists in having an actual share in the appointment of those who are to frame the laws and who are to be the guardians of every man's life property and peace for the all of one man is as dear to him as the all of another and the poor man has an equal right but more need to have representatives in the legislature than the rich one that they who have no voice or vote in the electing of representatives do not enjoy liberty but are absolutely enslaved to those who have votes and their representatives for to be enslaved is to have governors whom other men have set over us and to be subject to laws made by the representatives of others without having had representatives of our own to give consent on our behalf suppose i read it with the feminine gender that women who have no voice nor vote in the electing of representatives do not enjoy liberty but are absolutely enslaved to men who have votes and their representatives 
for to be enslaved is to have governors whom men have set over us and to be subject to the laws made by the representatives of men without having representatives of our own to give consent on our behalf and yet one more authority that of thomas paine than whom not one of the revolutionary patriots more ably vindicated the principles upon which our government is founded the right of voting for representatives is the primary right by which other rights are protected to take away this right is to reduce man to a state of slavery for slavery consists in being subject to the will of another and he that has not a vote in the election of representatives is in this case the proposal therefore to disenfranchise any class of men is as criminal as the proposal to take away property is anything further needed to prove woman's condition of servitude sufficiently orthodox to entitle her to the guarantees of the fifteenth amendment is there a man who will not agree with me that to talk of freedom without the ballot is mockery is slavery to the women of this republic precisely as new england's orator wendell phillips at the close of the late war declared it to be to the newly emancipated black men i admit that prior to the rebellion by common consent the right to enslave as well as to disenfranchise both native and foreign-born citizens was conceded to the states but the one grand principle settled by that war and the reconstruction legislation is the supremacy of national power to protect the citizens of the united states in their right to freedom and the elective franchise against any and every interference on the part of the several states and again and again have the american people asserted the triumph of this principle by their overwhelming majorities for lincoln and grant the one issue of the last two presidential elections was whether the fourteenth and fifteenth amendments should be considered the irrevocable will of the people and the decision was they shall be and that it is not only the right but the duty of the national government to protect all united states citizens in the full enjoyment and free exercise of all their privileges and immunities against any attempt of any state to deny or abridge and in this conclusion republicans and democrats alike agree senator freelinghuisen said the heresy of state rights has been completely buried in these amendments that as amended the constitution confers not only national but state citizenship upon all persons born or naturalized within our limits the call for the national republican convention said equal suffrage has been engrafted on the national constitution the privileges and immunities of american citizenship have become a part of the organic law the national republican platform said complete liberty and exact equality in the enjoyment of all civil political and public rights should be established and maintained throughout the union by efficient and appropriate state and federal legislation if that means anything it is that congress should pass a law to require the states to protect women in their equal political rights and that the states should enact laws making it the duty of inspectors of elections to receive women's votes on precisely the same conditions they do those of men 
judge stanley matthews a substantial ohio democrat in his preliminary speech at the cincinnati convention said most emphatically the constitutional amendments have established the political equality of all citizens before the law president grant in his message to congress march thirtieth eighteen seventy on the adoption of the fifteenth amendment said a measure which makes at once four millions of people voters is indeed a measure of greater importance than any act of the kind from the foundation of the government to the present time how could four millions negroes be made voters if two millions were not included the california state republican convention said among the many practical and substantial triumphs of the principles achieved by the republican party during the past twelve years it enumerated with pride and pleasure the prohibiting of any state from abridging the privileges of any citizen of the republic the declaring the civil and political equality of every citizen and the establishing all these principles in the federal constitution by amendments thereto as the permanent law benjamin f butler in a recent letter to me said i do not believe anybody in congress doubts that the constitution authorizes the right of women to vote precisely as it authorizes trial by jury and many other like rights guaranteed to citizens and again general butler said it is not laws we want there are plenty of laws good enough too administrative ability to enforce law is the great want of the age in this country especially everybody talks of law law if everybody would insist on the enforcement of law the government would stand on a firmer basis and questions would settle themselves and it is upon this just interpretation of the united states constitution that our national woman suffrage association which celebrates the twenty-fifth anniversary of the woman's rights movement in new york on the sixth of may next has based all its arguments and action for the past five years we no longer petition legislature or congress to give us the right to vote we appeal to the women everywhere to exercise their too long neglected citizens right to vote we appeal to the inspectors of election everywhere to receive the votes of all united states citizens as it is their duty to do we appeal to united states commissioners and marshals to arrest the inspectors who reject the names and votes of united states citizens as it is their duty to do and leave those alone who like our eighth ward inspectors perform their duties faithfully and well we ask the juries to fail to return verdicts of guilty against honest law-abiding tax-paying united states citizens for offering their votes at our elections or against intelligent worthy young men inspectors of elections for receiving and counting such citizens votes we ask the judges to render true and unprejudiced opinions of the law and wherever there is room for a doubt to give its benefit on the side of liberty and equal rights to women remembering that the true rule of interpretation under our national constitution especially since its amendments is that anything for human rights is constitutional everything against human rights unconstitutional and it is on this line that we propose to fight our battle for the ballot 
all peaceably, but nevertheless persistently, through to complete triumph, when all United States citizens shall be recognized as equals before the law. End of section 18